0: We are here today in Camp Randall. I'm going to let Julie kind of run down an intro for you. She's got a great relationship with the gentleman that we're going to be podcasting with today, and we're really excited to have him on. Really lucky. We're still here. Obviously, we're in Camp Randall, so we're still here in Madison, Wisconsin. It's Tuesday. Games haven't started yet, but we're starting to get excited.
1: All right. Welcome to Badger Country. So we're here with Kevin Schultz. He is the director of Olympic Strength and Conditioning at the University of Wisconsin. It's um, right in the beginning of the fall sports season. And so it's pretty busy here on campus, but still um, Kevin took some time to talk with us today. So we're pretty excited. Um, I know Kevin from several years ago, just a few, um, back in back in college um, where Kevin started out his illustrious career. Uh, <laughs> he just rolled uh, anyways, he's done some pretty amazing things for himself. Um he's uh, has been a strength coach at several universities and one of the things that always struck me about Kevin over the years, as I heard about what he was doing at the different schools he was working at and just from other colleagues of mine who have coached with him, he has a pretty holistic approach. Or, and I'm, I'm going to use that term very generally, but when you typically think of strength and conditioning at the collegiate setting, you think of a lot of grunting and sweating and, and just Pounding weights and, and, you know, that's kind of it and and I always liked his approach and how he really looks at the whole athlete and he truly, truly recognizes that to be excellent at your sport, to be, you know, excellent in training. There's more things than just what you're doing from the physical domain. So we're going to talk to him about that today as well as just some of his his experiences as a strength coach, kind of younger in the industry, and some of the realities of working in this profession as well. So, with that, Kevin, can you can you start out and just just give us a little rundown of, of what's important to you, where where you've been, where you're at now?
2: Yeah, I I guess the easiest way is to start how most podcasts start. So I'll kind of give you guys a, a rundown <laughs> of my my background. Um, Went to wisconsin lacrosse with uh, julie and did my degree in exercise science uh, teaching and then i also got concentrations in strength and conditioning and coaching competitive athletics uh, when i was there i was lucky enough to be part of the football team um, and had a chance to be part of some really good success there which kind of led me down a road of future success with a lot of things professionally and personally um, when i got done there i went down to arizona state i did an internship down there it really wasn't part of my educational experience at all it was really just I knew I, at that point I didn't want to be a teacher, um, mm-hmm. I, I knew I wanted to be a college strength coach or at least a college coach and so really what I did is I, I found a, a school that had a reputable uh, strength and conditioning program and it was in a place that I didn't necessarily want to live forever but I wanted to go vacation for six months and so <laughs> Tempe, Arizona as Julie knows uh, yeah. was, a, was a, an amazing place to go for a few months. Um, so I went down there, um, at that point I thought I wanted to be a Division One college strength and conditioning coach and I thought it was going to be the dream. And, I got down there and it was probably the the most opposite of experiences that I thought I would have had um, it just wasn't what I was looking for and I think a lot of uh, people in this profession they always have to ask themselves you know do they want to you know get a great education from an academic standpoint or do they want a really good clinical uh, application of strength conditioning and, and for me after doing my time at Arizona State I really decided that the educational component was huge Um, So from there I went back to Wisconsin lacrosse. Uh, I started working on my masters in exercise science human performance. Um, There I was lucky enough to be a graduate assistantship and have some teams under my belt which was uh, an amazing um, learning experience for me to be able to meet with coaches, athletic trainers, administrators, interacting with student athletes, figuring out scheduling all those things that undergrad really doesn't prepare you for. Mm -hmm. Um, But also when I when I walked on campus I was approached by the head woman's track coach because during my undergrad experience, when I wasn't playing football in the fall, I was coaching high school track and field in the spring, um, it mm-hmm. just happened that they, they were looking for a, a throws coach on the woman's side. And, and so it's it's interesting, you know, I, at that point in time, I, I knew I wanted to be a strength coach, but I loved sport coaching still. I had done, you know, coaching high school football when I was student teaching. Um, and then obviously when I was going to school, I was coaching track and field. So... I, I always loved the educational component of working with high school kids and I got back to Wisconsin Lacrosse and Coach Pat Healy said, Hey, you know, we're looking for a throws coach. Uh, we heard you know how to coach it, would you be interested And I was lucky enough for that, you know, a year that I was there I had a chance to work with some, you know, amazing women and really, mm-hmm. you know, experiment uh, in the weight room both from a, a strength conditioning standpoint and then from a track and field standpoint. So I was lucky enough to get my masters done there. Um, from that point, you know, it really is, you know, in this profession, it's not what you know, it's who you know. You know, what mm-hmm. you know will get you in the door, who you know will get you the job. Um, so when I was at uh, Wisconsin LaCrosse doing my master's degree, Coach Healy came back from the indoor track meet and he said, hey, I found you a job. I go, all right, let's let's hear it, Pat. Where would you find me? He's like, oh, yeah, they got a job opening up at Carnegie Mellon University. I go, where the heck is Carnegie <laughs> Mellon? I've never heard of this school. <laughs> And, and so he's like, oh, you know, it's in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You know, one of the guys that's the associate head coach he used to sell equipment to me when I was, you know, early on at lacrosse. And, and needless to say, I went in and I applied for it, and I got offered the job at uh, 25 years old as the first strength conditioning coach they ever had at Carnegie mm-hmm. Mellon University. Um, so, you know, I'm not only the, the strength coach at Carnegie Mellon. I had 17 teams I was working with, 350 student athletes. I was teaching two classes in their physical education department each semester, and I was a track coach. Um, so I move out to Pittsburgh. I'm, I'm still technically enrolled in school, um, you know, so I could defer my student loans for another year. And then mm-hmm. I got to a point my second year at Carnegie Mellon where student loans start, started coming up. Um, living in Pittsburgh is not that cheap, but it's not that expensive. And I'm like, well, you know, I can't afford to live. I can't afford to feed myself and I can't afford to pay my student loans all at the same time. So me being the schemer I am, I'm like, oh, I'm just gonna keep going back to school. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> you know it, in <laughs> hindsight, it led me to where I am today. but when I get my, my statements from uh, the federal loan <laughs> area, <laughs> I'm like, wow, you know, I have X amount of dollars in student loans, but it, it was definitely a blessing in disguise. So when I was at Carnegie Mellon, I was the head strength coach, assistant track field coach. My second year there, I went back and I got a post-master's degree online in corrective mm-hmm. exercises. And again, you know, it's it's one of those things, and I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit later, is this idea, if you want to be a really good strength coach, you kind of have to be a jack-of-all-trades. You have to be able to walk into any conversation, whether it's with a, a sport coach or an athletic trainer or a physical therapist or an administrator, you got to be able to talk to talk, and you got to understand what people are talking about if you want to be efficient um, with your time and with what the athletes need to do. But, you know, on the flip side, you also have to be a master of one. It's, you know, and I, I think that's one of the things that working here at the University of Wisconsin has really allowed me to do is get to a point where I'm just becoming a really good strength coach. Beforehand, I, I was a track coach, a football coach, uh, doing massage therapy, all these other things that we'll kind of dive into. But now at the University of Wisconsin, I just get to be a really awesome strength coach, which has been a lot of fun. Um, so bringing it back, um, third year at Carnegie Mellon, I decided to pick up coaching football. Um, one guy left, and they were kind of in a, a tough position. They knew I had played college football at a good university. They're like, "Hey, do you want to coach inside linebackers?" I'm like, "Yeah, let's do this. This sounds great." You know, not only you know being a strength coach for seventeen teams, coaching track and field, teaching two classes a semester. Let's let's pick up coaching college football, right? Um, and during that semester also that year, I should say, I went back to school and I got an associate's degree in massage therapy. And again, you know, track and field is huge, just as much as probably CrossFit is Mm -hmm. with soft tissue work. And so I knew that would be one avenue if I wanted to be a college track and field coach that i wanted to go down uh, just because a lot of universities especially at the division three level don't have access to quality care massage therapists no so they I don't was, yeah so i was definitely one of those guys where i'm like all right well i better get an education for it and i was lucky enough that like i got some tuition remission from carnegie mellon so it made it cool. easy mm-hmm. um so you know i'm coaching football coaching track doing the strength coach thing and then a job opened up at wisconsin lacrosse just to be their head strength coach and assistant football coach Um, Again, lucky enough to have a foot in the door at that university Mm -hmm. just because there was a lot of people that I played for that were still there. um, And took that job and for there, I was there for four years as their head strength coach, assistant football coach. And then the last educational thing I've I've done to that point is I went to school and I did another online uh, degree in sports psychology. And again, you know, I think the thing that Julie kind of mentioned in the beginning, this holistic approach is you know the six or eight inches between the ears is probably more important than anything else within the body and understanding how athletes internalize things I think was really important and even more important for me as a, as a coach and a practitioner to understand how I can set up scenarios and situations not only from a, a strength training but from a football or track and field standpoint mm-hmm. to put our athletes in a position to be challenged and successful so. I was at Wisconsin LaCrosse for four years. Um, Some things happened, went through some life changes, (laughs) and then I was lucky enough to kind of fall into this blissful job at the University of Wisconsin. (laughs) Blissful. (laughs) It it, it is is about as good a job as I think I could ever have.
1: You had nine um, jobs at your other universities, so to have one here yeah, is probably, is it's, it was probably like, hey, what, nice change. What, what do I do now? Yeah. yeah, you know, you
2: go from having nine jobs and getting paid one salary to mm-hmm. having one job and getting basically paid nine salaries. It's, yeah. it's been pretty amazing, and the university's great. The people I work with are just amazing human beings, and the student-athletes are phenomenal. So I'm just so lucky to be here, and, you know, I, I don't know if I'll ever change.
1: It's okay. We hope you never change. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was a, a perfect rundown that was all the things I wrote down that I wanted to, I wanted to talk about good we're done then all right, <laughs> all right finishing up <laughs> yeah um all right so I, w- I want to go back to when you were finishing up with undergrad and you went to ASU and and you know you kind of realized okay I don't want to be a PE teacher and I want to do strength and conditioning one of the things that and and I knew when you went to Carnegie when you went to Carnegie that was you know a different job opportunity different part of the country you went right from from basically grad school to being a head strength coach. Yeah. Like GA head strength coach, not just a head strength coach, but the first one they've ever had. And the first time that was the first time they had structured strength and conditioning at Correct. Carnegie. Right. So can, can you walk us through, um, and, I'm going to swear a little bit, but like, I feel like that'd be a clusterfuck. Like, come on. Like when you go, you go from being GA and then the first time, like, and Eric knows that too. So like um, he's worked at two high schools as a strength and conditioning coach and neither have had, you know, it's high school, obviously, have had strength and conditioning and i just talking with him and, and what that's like. And then with you at the collegiate level, D3, of course, but still, I mean, you have so many teams like mm-hmm. D3 sports. You can have a lot of athletes on those teams. Um, like, what in the world was that like when you started there?
2: You know, and honestly, it was, it was quite easy. Um, and you don't really, and for people who are involved in the academic situation, you never realize, like, the value of your education until mm-hmm. you get out. Um, and I was yep. very lucky to go from a school like Wisconsin La Crosse, where even as an undergrad, I was extremely more prepared than I think most people I ran into. And then yeah. from a, a graduate standpoint, it was a really easy transition. The, the way we had the, the system set up at La Crosse is a mm-hmm. GA I had full autonomy over what we were doing with my teams. Um, we had to schedule, we had to meet with coaches, we had to meet with athletic trainers, we had to develop programs. And so basically, you know, that year I was a GA at, or at uh, Wisconsin LaCrosse, I, I ran the show. Was and was prepping, yeah. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and so it was a great experience and I had some really awesome, amazing mentors at Wisconsin mm-hmm. LaCrosse that helped me kind of learn and grow. Um, and it was an easy transition going to Carnegie Mellon because they knew no different. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, what I told them what they were going to do. And so right. yeah. I walked in with a blank slate, mm-hmm. um, and I kind of understood that anything I did was going to be better than what they had. Right. Um, and, and having some foresight, I knew that I would want to grow a program. So, a- again, you know, anybody who's walking into a new job is you start small and build from there. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the biggest challenges were obviously just like communicating with like the, the 13 sport coaches and 13 mm-hmm. assistant coaches and, you know, making sure that I had enough time available to me to proctor all the training sessions in the weight room, but also on field stuff. And, and at times, you know, those are the, the early mornings, like the 5 a.m. and you're, you're working till 9, 10 o'clock at night straight through. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're young, you, you do it because you love it. And you know, yeah. You, yeah. again, you know no difference coming from a graduate assistantship position where you're just working a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I was really blessed at Carnegie Mellon to have really good sport coaches where I came in for my interview and I had somebody on the inside that was really rooting for me. He did an amazing job of setting me up for success. Um, the athletic dra- director at the time did a really good job of setting parameters, understanding I was also a sport coach too. And mm-hmm. so, you know, having that experience as a sport coach and as a strength coach it made the conversations I had with the other sport coaches who were just sport coaches a lot easier yeah. because I can talk to talk, you know. Um, it's one of those things when I look at my, my career a little bit, it's it's interesting because I've, I've coached, like, girls, I've coached boys, I've coached mm-hmm. women, I've coached men, I've coached high, high school athletes, college athletes, I've coached team sports, individual sports, I've done strength training for every sport you can imagine. And so, again, like, I feel really confident in, like, my ability to walk into any scenario and have a good conversation with somebody as long as both people are willing to put their guards down and have a conversation and, and give a little bit when they need to and push a little bit when they have to.
0: Mm-hmm. You you said like 60 different things that I want to touch on, but the, <laughs> the one that jumped off the page right away is, so I've since left um, like traditional strength and conditioning kind of went back to like the private world. And the one thing that I, I continue to recognize and I'm sure that you can relate to once, sh- if you look at social media, you look at some of the things that pop up is like having an education in what you're doing, whether it's programming strength and conditioning, it makes a difference. And that's one thing that now, especially that I'm in the private kind of the back end of the CrossFit world, Olympic weightlifting world again, is that it's one thing that is extremely prominent, that the people that have an education, maybe they're not the best coach. But the education and the program that they're able to offer their athletes, is, it is at a different tier.
2: Oh, hands, hands down. And, you know, we see that across the board when we bring interns in. You know, there's, there's programs around, you know, even Wisconsin that are highly known for producing good, educated students within strength conditioning. and conditioning. And I can give those individuals more responsibility. And the more responsibility I give them, the more opportunities they get and the more they grow. Um, but you can also tell those individuals that, you know, are trying to get into the field that have a degree in biology or communications or sociology, um, they may have been, like, Division One athletes and they, they, they always enjoy being in the weight room. But without that educational foundation and understanding yeah. exercise science, kinesiology, um, at times they're they're scratching and they're just – There's some barbells bouncing there. It's okay. It's a weight room, right? Let's go. Yeah, we like those things. (laughs) But you know, like you you can see, like at times they're just regurgitating what they saw or what they did as an athlete. They don't necessarily Mm -hmm. understand the why or how they're doing it. And you know, at this level, there's a good population of strength coaches like that that fall into it because they found a passion for it, but they didn't. They weren't allowed, or they didn't get a degree in exercise science. Um, And they find their ways. I mean, there's nothing that we do that's too complex that nobody can't learn. Um, It just takes a little bit more time. And, you know, I always tell our our interns here, it's either you coach technique or you coach motivation. It's one or the other. You're always doing something. You're always being active on the floor. Um, And if you don't understand technique because you don't have the experience, then you coach motivation and, and vice versa. You know, it's like trying to help our interns and myself and my staff find where their strengths are. So they can be successful with those things. And then as a group, we work to get better at the things that we may be lacking at.
1: Cool. I, no, I, I agree. I think to Eric's, obviously I'm biased. I work in education. So right. I, I've been conditioned to tell people that you should go <laughs> get an education. And
0: one thing to that point is Julie will sit her classes down and at a very <laughs> early time in their program study and say, hey, you don't need an education to do mm-hmm. this but it will make a significant difference. Yeah. and I mean, it the ability to comprehend what's happening mm-hmm. at, at a molecular level of the muscle, to understand what muscles are moving what, to understand, like, hey, you need to get your hips down, <clears throat> and that's a coaching cue that anybody can make. And right. just because you don't have a formalized education doesn't mean that you're not going to be a good coach. But to understand why you need to get your hips down from a <clears throat> level of... This moves this. Right mm-hmm. is ex- is is a different.
2: Absolutely, and you know we, we see it all the time in the world that I live in. Is like people who truly understand why movement is important and correct movement is important versus the, the people who just know how to yell to get down lower. To push, yeah. And, yeah. Um, and you need both people in the weight room. And you, you know do. you look at uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you look at different staffs across the nation within different sports. There there always needs to be somebody within the room that understands the why but there should always definitely be somebody that understands like the this is how we're gonna do it type thing to set those standards. Because especially at at the college level, everything is very cultural based. um, Mm -hmm. and and That's been like one of the bigger challenges coming to a division one university is working with different sport cultures. Each culture needs a different type of training system or methodology or communication structure. So Mm -hmm. trying to understand that, and I've been lucky enough where I've had people that have been around me to help me learn that. And it hasn't been an easy process for all the sports. But culture dictates a lot of what we do from uh, the Division yeah. One standpoint because ultimately, you know, like the human body is, is the human body. It doesn't matter what sport you play. You, you have to train the basics the same. Um, but how we pose different, you know, training scenarios and different, you know, workouts is really dependent on what that culture can, you know, handle and mm-hmm. what that experience needs to be like for them.
1: Well, and how just how they'll respond, and so I think that's that's why too that education component you talked about. It's not just the physical the physical component of, of education. So again, that's why it's always struck me like I you went back and got massage therapy certification, the sports psychology component. Mm-hmm. It's just it's those are tools in your tool belt to you know whether you have strengths in one area. Obviously, you're extremely knowledgeable in the technical side of strength and conditioning. Mm-hmm. I think you're a super personable person, but that's because I know you. I've known you <laughs> right, for a long right. time. <laughs> but you know, like the psychology component, you know, like that helps you to be able to understand, well, like, well different sport cultures of what those athletes grew up with from a young age or where they're come from or what their, their sport coaches pull down as the mm-hmm. culture they want to have. Then you as the strength coach, you need to also meet kind of meet that culture a little bit halfway yeah, so that know, they're going to respond to the stimulus that you give them in here.
2: You know, I think one of the, the most brilliant things I've heard probably in the last 12 months was from the head strength coach at the university of Texas, uh, Donnie Mabe, And he was at, giving a presentation and he said, you know, more or less, as strength coaches, we are the curators of the culture that the coaches want. We're, mm-hmm. We don't develop our own culture. Like mm-hmm. if, I, if I were to try to run a football culture with a volleyball team or with a yep. soccer team, it's not going to work. We have to look at what the sport coach's culture is and try to curate it down here. Um, and you see all the time really good strength coaches run into brick walls because they don't understand that. They have their, their principles and their philosophies, and yep. they're not willing to give or take and it ends up taking them out of the profession because they're like "Oh, this team is lazy they don't want to work hard and it's more like no their culture isn't set up for that right Mm -hmm. and you have to find a way to curate that culture down in the weight room if you want success and success will happen you know it's it's amazing when you look at the human body how robust it is you can literally throw anything at it and especially when you're dealing with 18 22 year old Mm -hmm. genetically gifted athletes they're gonna get better it doesn't matter what you do it's how you do it Mm -hmm. and the message behind it. i think is important
0: well and The conversations that you had with the sport coaches, and and one thing that I see a lot at the high school level is that you see a lot of football coaches who are strength coaches. Mm -hmm. And there's a credibility issue, in my opinion, that happens at that point because it's like a volleyball athlete walks in and she goes, well... Why am I going to listen to the football coach? that's telling me to lift because he's making me do a football workout? Right. And mm-hmm. especially at the high school level, nine out of ten times, that's exactly what's happening. Yeah, and so they're not doing anything that's going to benefit them on a single leg. They're not going to do anything that's going to help them prevent an ACL tear right. or rolling an ankle on the court, which are primary injuries for the sport. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, so when you were when you were working as kind of wearing multiple different hats, yeah. did you run into any issues like that to where?
2: yeah absolutely um and and realistically you know when you when you scale it back people need to squat they need to do you know pressing motions hip hinging motions they need to sprint they need to jump they need to throw things i mean there's like basic biomotor abilities that they all have to have and especially when you start dealing with like younger athletes who have a really low training age or people in high school like a lot of those programs, if you're at a good program, they're doing the same thing for the most part. Like 90% of what they're doing is identical to everybody else because they're so young. They just need right. basic, simple movement mm-hmm. patterns. Um, but the art is that extra 10%. You know, it's you should spend 90% of your time trying to figure out what that 10% should look like to meet the culture and what the kids want. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times it's, it's misinformation that's brought down from the, the coaching level where – you know, you have one sport coach looking at the program and it's almost identical to what another program is doing. And they're like, well, you know, we're, you know, we're tennis, we're not football, but everybody needs a squat. I'm, exactly. I'm, I'm sorry, people need to get yes. strong. If they don't get strong, they don't get fast, they don't get cl- quick, they don't get explosive. Um, but it's how you present those qualities on, on your sheets, within your program, how you educate the student athletes. Um, a lot of times the student athletes are your buffer between the coaches. And so mm-hmm. if you tell the student athletes positive things, positive notes get to the coach. Coaches are happy. If you want to force a conversation with a coach or if you're unhappy, you tell the student athletes, hey, we didn't do well today. We need to work better on these things. The coach will come and have a conversation. And again, it's an easy way to incite education and in conversation with your colleagues and your coworkers without having to schedule a meeting because they want to know what's going on. Right. Um, and that's half the battle, just educating them on what what you feel is important from your education, your experiences versus what they value and find is important from their education, their right. experiences. Um, at the end of the day you know you have to you have to rely on your education your credentials to let you know what's important um, and they have to do the same thing but you have to give and take mm-hmm. um, and no relationships work out well at any level unless there's that you know giving and taking and understanding and sharing responsibility and, and trying to find solutions together as a group
0: I one time I uh, aggressively dismissed a basketball team and I hadn't seen the coach in quite a while uh, man, he was in, in five minutes. Yeah. He is like, what'd they do? Yep. And I was like, it's okay. Tomorrow's (laughs) going to be a brand new day. It's going to be fine. But here's a conditioning piece. You can run them through at the end of practice. (laughs) Next time they came in, they said two things, I'm sorry. And that conditioning piece was terrible. We're not doing this again.
2: Yeah. I mean, there definitely is, you know, an educational component to, you know. Activities like conditioning or, you know, physical punishment, athletes do learn. Um, And as PE teachers, Mm -hmm. as educators, we hate using running as a form of punishment. But But
0: they were doing that conditioning piece regardless. Let me me (laughs) premise that. But the difference is that, so I'm not, I was never and will never be a scream and yell kind of coach. Because at the end of the day, if I'm doing that, I'm creating a negative relationship Mm -hmm. with, physical activity with physical training especially at the high school level it's my job a lot of these kids a lot of those kids we're going to go on to play d1 d2 d3 athletics mm-hmm. and so if they have a negative relationship with strength and conditioning now i've now failed my job because yeah. it's my job to make sure that they remain healthy happy and strong through their lifetime
2: absolutely yeah and
0: especially when these athletes leave college too because now their entire life they've been active until they're 23 24 yep. and now sometimes for those that don't go pro it's, it's gone. nothing yeah so yeah.
2: Yeah, it's spot on. You know, I, I think I think that's right in the sense that if we have well placed high school strength coaches, it sets us all up for success at the collegiate level and their development is just on a faster track. Too often I find situations where it's the opposite where they have no or limited experience mm-hmm. from a strength conditioning standpoint and either you're reteaching movement patterns that you feel aren't appropriate for what you're trying to do as a coach yeah. or you're starting from scratch and Coaches want to see everybody rise at the same level, but that just doesn't it's happen. It's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. It's no. not all the same people. Yeah. Especially
0: positionally. Ugh, your six, your your eighteen or nineteen year old six foot eight <laughs> left tackle yeah. is going to move significantly differently than your five foot. And mm-hmm. tailback.
2: Yeah, we have a six foot eight girl on the volleyball team. She moves <laughs> like a five foot eight girl. I mean, whoever <laughs> yeah. worked with her did did yeah. her right because she awesome. is just phenomenal. And
0: and that that one and to that point, that mold doesn't isn't going to fit every athlete exactly. So.
1: Mm-hmm. When you moved over to Wisconsin Lacrosse, one of the things that I I heard about you because I'm good friends with with several of the coaches there still, um, that you worked for and you coached you coached with obviously was you developed a pretty comprehensive system and they they had great strength and conditioning already mm-hmm. because that's one of the things I attribute to just my love of the sport of you know of even of weightlifting I was like I was I was trained pretty well in college, but when you took over that had strength and conditioning position, um, and kind of leading into this idea of training age of athletes. Mm -hmm. Um, I kept hearing about, Oh yeah, like with, with our freshman athletes, it's really awesome because you know, they're 18, you know, who knows what they did before they might just be a freak runner. Um, but you put in some assessment protocols and some really good measures there to help your to help you and then the staff that you were building obviously do your jobs well and then also that was information that was getting back to the sport coaches mm-hmm. um in terms of like how those athletes are developing because i know that that information was able to impact those coaches and how they wrote their own sport programming right. so right. can you talk about that a little bit some of the things you did to kind of continue to build a program and but now at a different university
2: yeah absolutely you know and i i don't want to take credit for for things that aren't mine alone and obviously you walk into a situation at Wisconsin lacrosse and you have, you know, people way smarter than you people with way more experience than you and people in in different professions and to to write them off because I'm the new strength coach, it wasn't going to happen. I was just lucky to walk into a great situation where we just had hired a new athletic director and he came from the division one level and he understood what a strength conditioning program should look like. So mm-hmm. he really did an amazing job of empowering me to do whatever I wanted to do. Um, he basically threw me threw me the keys to a car and said, "Hey, make this thing work." Um, and the first thing I did is I went and I talked to our athletic trainers, our sport coaches, people that I knew had a strong understanding in sports sciences. Mm-hmm. And traditionally, those are your, your track and field coaches, your swimming coaches, your individual sport coaches that use more exercise physiology and movement to improve performance from a sports standpoint. Um, So I I knew it was important to have conversations with people that had been there for a while and even though I had spent, you know, almost a decade there between undergrad and grad school, I kind of had a good idea, but I I knew there was a lot more there and so you you turn to the resources that you think can help you Um, and, you know, we just started brainstorming ideas that we thought were important and so, you know, not only within the university, I think we did a lot of outreach type stuff where we're bringing in physical therapists, chiropractors, Mm -hmm. massage therapists, yoga instructors from the community trying to incorporate them. One, because you know, at Wisconsin Cross, we have an amazing exercise science program. So I wanted our student athletes who happen to be within this program to have exposure to these professions. But also a lot of these professions are always looking for volunteers and interns. So it's definitely a, a very holistic approach to that. Um, in regards to like, you know, bringing athletes in and assessing them, I, I think we're at a point where all Division One programs are going to mm-hmm. do things like that. And yeah. we're lucky enough here at the University of Wisconsin, where we have a whole department, basically, that's that's all they do is assess our student athletes as they come in. And and throughout the progression as uh, their career here as, as athletes. But at Wisconsin Lacrosse, uh, I was lucky enough to have some really good athletic trainers and some interns and grad students that were really interested in that. So we started, you know, doing the, the functional movement screening mm-hmm. and doing, you know, different types of orthopa- orthopedic screenings. And um, then also like our traditional strength power screenings, you can tell a lot by how somebody moves when they squat, when they clean, mm-hmm. when they sprint, when they jump. And so, you know, like track coaches have been doing that for years, yeah. right? They, they assess movement from a movement standpoint, sprinting, jumping, hopping, throwing. I mean, you could tell a lot about movement dysfunction just by watching somebody move. But how you visualize that and get that information to the coaches needs to be specific to that sport so they know how to internalize it. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, if, if I'm working with a football coach and I say, hey, these three guys, they, they clean 315 pounds, they're good, but these three guys clean 185, that's not good enough. The coaches know that there's different things they could do from a, a practice standpoint to put them in position to develop more explosive power. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and similar with, you know, like track and field, like if you show like flying 30 splits and then you look at overall speed, you can tell there's, there may be a differential. For me, it's just trying to present them that information in a way that they, they can see those things glaringly and make alterations to the program. And, and again, you know, it's, it was lucky being a coach so I could speak the language mm-hmm. and I could put those things in yeah. context for them. Um, and it was, it was nice because everybody, for the most part, trusted me whether or not yeah. they wanted to or the AD <laughs> was forcing them to. Um, <laughs> it was a really good situation. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and, and that's being able to have those conversations with those sport coaches and being able to talk the talk is part of the first battle and any young strength coach out there that isn't immediately going to your athletic trainers. That's a huge pet, pet peeve of mine absolutely. when when they don't talk, especially at the, I mean, especially at the level that I was at the high school level, it's, it's different at the collegiate mm-hmm. level. Um, it's an entirely different beast and different animal, but like that is a huge pet peeve of mine. It's like you need each other.
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, at the end of the day, you know, I, And this has been true at every university I've worked with, your relationships with your sports medicine professional are going to be your best relationships. Um, Just because they're on the outside like you as well, looking into what the sport coaches are doing. You know, I think too often within our profession of strength and conditioning or even like sports medicine, we think that the athletes are ours, like, Mm -hmm. but they're not. Like the coaches are nice enough to let us play with them. You know, we're not, we're not giving up hours at nights or weekends or holidays to go recruit these kids. You know, yeah. they're not my volleyball team. They're the head coach's volleyball team. They're not my soccer team. They're the head coach's soccer team. Um, and but the, on the nice side is like having a sports medicine professional that understands that as well, and we work together to make sure that student athlete's welfare and development is first and foremost on our end, and we pass them on to the sport coaches where their you know technical tactical development is on their mind. So, mm-hmm. you know those those relationships are huge and critical. When I was younger, I did them all wrong. Um, <laughs> I, I think at Carnegie Mellon I must have pissed off every athletic trainer i ever worked with because i thought i knew it all um then yeah oh absolutely you know i got brought into my ad's office one day because i publicly announced that i did not believe what this athletic trainer was doing and the athletic director literally ripped my ass i never heard a grown woman curse that loud before but she got after me and you know a learning experience you realize that you can have your your differences of opinions and you can personally dislike somebody but mm-hmm. the student-athletes, they can never know about that because right. that undermines Correct. everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, Correct. But when you're young, you think you know it all, and you put this idea of it's in the benefit of the student-athlete to do it this way, but it's never in the benefit of the student-athlete because the student-athlete will always throw you under a bus at any <laughs> influx. They, they don't yeah. care. They just want the answer they want. Um, and so, you know, I think as, as you get older and you're in the profession more, you value your professional relationships with your coworkers more so than when, when you're younger you value it with the student athletes you always yeah. want to justify it's it's in their best interest we're gonna help them get better they're gonna do better because of this and realistically athletes come and go but if you want to be at a place for a long time you take care of your relationships with your coworkers. yeah
1: Ego, ego is a tough thing to drop when you're young. It's huge. I, I mean, mean, at any age, but especially when you're young.
2: That's that that thing I got on my wall right there, the the Dunning-Cougar <laughs> effect, how when you know nothing, your confidence is high, but as yeah. you get more experience, <laughs> it gets a lot lower. Like No,
1: it's, that's 100% true. I that middle like, part where yeah. the confidence is super low, where your experience is growing, yeah.
2: Yeah, I feel, I feel about as dumb as I have in mm-hmm. 10, 12 years in this profession, but – It's also a nice thing. You know, I tell our interns, I've forgotten more than you guys have learned, but I still feel stupid, so that's not
1: good for you. Any interns are going to not, no, they should still come here. Um, Well, and (laughs) and anybody
0: who works in the private sector, um, and I say private sector, Mm -hmm. as far as the Crossford Olympic Weightlifting, what... what personal training, or just any, yeah, any
1: type of non, I would say non-school type of or structure for
0: the athletes or the people that listen to this that are that just want like train or like to learn more about it what he just said about the athletes will throw you under the bus anytime that you have a client or a member or an athlete come to you and say hey i can't do this or this hurts and you tell them well it's because your hip flexors are tighter it's because your hips aren't mobile enough or you know it, your shoulder's unstable and they go to someone else and mm-hmm. they ask them the same thing and they go to someone mm-hmm. else ask the same thing they're looking for an answer that is the easiest way out
1: yeah, yeah. Or a fast treatment. Or, or a it's a fast
0: treatment yeah. or a quick fix. And guess yeah. what? A lot of these things, hardly ever will they ever be a quick fix. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Foam rolling an IT band. That's what the quickest fix you can <laughs> find. Besides <laughs> that, none of that stuff. And that's not a pleasant experience on its, in its own. But
2: Everything takes time, and, and people don't have time nowadays. They just no. want the answer they have in their head, and they want somebody with the creden- credentials to tell them exactly what they think it is. Mm-hmm. Speaking of time, yeah. um,
0: one thing that I want to talk about is yeah. – and what a lot of people don't realize is what's what's your day look like?
2: You know, I wish I – I get so many people that ask me that. Yeah. Um, but there really is no normal day. It really is dependent on where I am within my season. So I'm lucky enough where I have three fall season sports. So I work with men's, women's soccer, and volleyball. Um, so the way it kind of works is the fall is probably the busiest, where I, I go to three practices most days. There's competitions. Um, my workload from a strength and conditioning standpoint kind of becomes uh, – diminished a little bit where I'll have our teams in once maybe twice a week since they're all in season but a majority of my responsibility is communicating with coaches, communicating with sports medicine professionals, taking care of the kids that have um, lower training time because of injury or recovery type stuff and like the actual s work becomes diminished a lot except for maybe like our, our kids that are red shirting or gray shirting mm-hmm. um, as we transition into that January time that's that's my time that I get about four weeks off I disappear I usually go on vacation mm-hmm. um, get my mind right because when I come back in the spring everybody is out of season and mm-hmm. this is like the most important but also the most time-consuming period of, of my whole year just because, you know, it's, it's everything within academics happens early morning or late night because everybody has to go to school here. Surprisingly, you know, depending on, you know, contra- or popular belief, student athletes at the Division One level do go to school. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of yeah. times we, we do get training sessions in, you know, from 5 o'clock till 10 o'clock in the morning, and then they come back um, from probably like 3 o'clock until 8 o'clock at night. So, you know, they're early mornings or late nights because there are practices throughout the, the spring semester, but you just you make it work because, you know, spring break rolls around, I'm gone for a week, mm-hmm. uh, ten yeah. days actually, and then you come back and you, you push hard for you yep. know another probably seven or eight weeks, and then we get into our dead period and mm-hmm. our finals period where we're not allowed to have mandatory conduct um, with our, our contact with our kids, and then there's usually a two week kids go home take care of the personal business before they come back for the summer, um, so it's it's an ebb and a flow. You know, there's days yeah. where there's you know 16, 18 hour days. There's times where I, I get back on a bus at like 12 o'clock, one o'clock in the morning, got to be back in at six o'clock, mm-hmm. but you realize you just sat on a bus for four hours and you didn't really do much. I don't <laughs> know if I count that work time, um, but it, at the end of the day, it's, it's not bad. It's been a lot worse. Like when I was at Wisconsin lacrosse, it was yeah. in at five home by 12 or one o'clock because I was coaching football. And mm-hmm. when you coach football, you go from in season to recruiting to spring season to summer camps and there's really no yeah. break there. And, I remember it was on my 30th birthday. We were coming back from playing northern Michigan on a Thursday night game. Mm-hmm. I roll in at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning. I sleep in my office because my first session starts at 5.30. I didn't even go home. That's yeah. how I spent my 30th birthday was sitting on a bus for 17 hours. Um, but you do that when you're young, and you do it because you think it's important to your yeah. development as a professional. But there are, there are no norms. It it's really depends on the situation you're at. You know, there's plenty of people at the college level that – their bosses make them sit in their offices for ten to twelve hours like you always have to be available and on call for student athletes we here we don't do that we respect our our employees and our, our co-workers time too much it's you communicate well this idea of having open hours doesn't really exist anymore uh, there's no mm-hmm. office hours everything we all have cell phones we mm-hmm. have work phones we have emails yeah. you need me text me yeah um, so this idea of sitting in our offices we don't do that you know i spend i spend enough time here to be great at my job but i don't spend any more time than that because i want to be at home with my you know my dog my girlfriend Mm -hmm. watching television reading books so yeah it's come it's come a long way i used to just be a grinder
1: you were you were that's that's how i knew you and that's why the first time when i came out to visit you a couple months ago and kevin showed me around i was like this is this is different than than the kevin i knew before um and and i guess in listening here you talked about your sport coaching experience well i mean which is an amazing experience as a sport coach myself, you're never going to have that type of that. You talk about creating culture. Like Mm -hmm. that's what you do. That's your job essentially. And you hope you win as well. And you hope you impact kids lives. Um, but I, I'm happy you were able to take some really good things away from that in terms of now how you operate as a strength coach but I'm going to say I'm glad you're done with the sport coaching part and you're, you're just sticking to the strength and conditioning world because obviously you, th- you thrive here as well um, can you talk about just and, and again I like because I teach college students and so I always like to have like what are some words of wisdom the work-life balance thing everybody like throws those terms out and like I have my own opinion on what balance is it's you're, you never achieve it it's, yeah. it's always a continuum it's a process every minute of every day Um, but because the profession of strength and conditioning especially at the collegiate level is incredibly demanding Mm -hmm. it's a non-traditional time schedule it always changes because of seasonality Mm -hmm. and of um, athletes in terms of where they are in their spectrum injured or not injured Um, can you talk about maybe some of your biggest lessons learned when it comes to just like being run down being burned out being energized like what has what What, has brought you back to life you know and
0: what was what was your uh what was your health state when you're (laughs) when you're riding home on your 30th birthday and you're sleeping in your office what do you like because i i get to the point where i'll work myself ragged eric's like that in my training i'm not i I, i'll (laughs) go three or four days without training i'll go two days before i realize i haven't fed myself Mm -hmm. yeah um (laughs) you know and it's like it's it's until i go like take a pee and it's it's coca-cola and i look at myself and i'm like i think i'm down five pounds i've got bags under my eyes and i'm like shit i should probably take care of myself
2: <laughs> yeah you know i think ultimately there are no rules it, it's all very con, you know context based um like when i was at wisconsin lacrosse that's probably the most amount of time i've ever spent working um probably close second to carnegie Mellon just because i had so many different jobs but i was in a, a different place um but like when I was at Carnegie Mellon, the people I worked with from a football standpoint—they're grinders. They love to grind. If you weren't in the office and you weren't grinding, you're were, you're missing out on something. Um, so that becomes your mentality. You're mm-hmm. you're okay with those things. Um, you know, I think the biggest lesson that I realized about this whole work-life balance thing is, is nobody cares about your time. Nobody cares mm-hmm. except for you. Yep. Um, is and you can you can say yes to ninety-nine things, but the one time you say no to, then the coaches get upset, and that's oh that's, yeah, that's I know that. Right? Yeah. Um, so you know, I think work life is work life balance is important. Um, I think it's also young people need to understand that if you want to be into profession, your work life balance has to be more work less life early mm-hmm. on. Yep. Um, and again, it's just just. That's just the way it goes. You know, our, our work-life balance is very similar to those in retail or in food service. It's like, yeah. hey, you know, if, if you're working at JCPenney or, you know, Hollister, yeah, you're working weekends, you're working nights, mm-hmm. you're working holidays. It's mm-hmm. no different than strength conditioning or college athletics. Yeah. It's, it's what you sign up for. Um, but on the flip side, there are those dull times where you can get away. And I think that, you know, the, the first important lesson is to realize that nobody cares about your time but you but the second part is to realize when you do have that time available to yourself to unplug, unwind, get away that you have to take it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, I was when I first got here I kind of got put in charge of two of our full-time professionals and kind of oversight of our room and I told them the first thing I wanted them to do was pick up two weeks throughout the whole 12-month period and take it off. I need to know when it's going to happen and we're going to be there because otherwise people like us, we won't take it. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. so it was really important for us to set those boundaries and say, Hey, I need to know when you're going to be gone. You each get two weeks off. You need to tell me. Did they and cry? They, no, they didn't. <laughs> they, well, maybe, maybe tears of joy because they had just moved from football where that was not part of the <laughs> culture. Right. Yeah. But I right. Knew it was important that if I wanted these two guys to be with me for a long time, which and I that's wanted the point, right? is, is that I have to, I have to value what they do outside of this. And you know, one guy's done a really good job, maybe a little bit too much. Um, he disappears and goes bear hunting, you know, going up to Montana, fly fishing. And, and I love it because he takes care of his stuff. You know, if you could do the same amount of work with less time, you're more efficient. You're more you're making more per, you know, hourly salary-wise. Yeah. Um, and then another guy, he's my CrossFit guy. He just he grinds. <laughs> but, you know, I see him work out twice a, twice a day in our weight room. That's not him working. It's him working out. That's his <laughs> time. So I appreciate right. that. Mm -hmm. Um, he just got married so I'm hoping things will change a little bit more towards the the life side yeah but it's you know it's his life he's gonna he's gonna do how he wants I just need to make sure he's gone for two weeks and (laughs) this week counts because he's on his honeymoon so (laughs) (laughs) good but you know work life is important um, and you need to be around people who respect that and understand that and if you're in a place where they don't it's probably not a great place to be yeah Mm -hmm. not long-term at least
1: yeah no those those are really good thoughts I guess one question I have for you is: in any, when you're in a a tough schedule, when you know you're getting kind of worn down, or you know, what is it on a day-to-day basis, or maybe not day-to-day, maybe it's something that stands out, what will bring you back to life? Because that's something a lot, I've been in that situation, Eric has. I know every professional in sport in strength and conditioning a coach of any a teacher of any kind like you you need those moments where you're like okay i can do this i'm gonna either research or i'll regroup and i'm gonna go what are some of those things for you it's
2: it's easy it's the kids i mean Mm -hmm. i don't think anybody that gets into the profession do it for anything other than for the individual you're working with whether Mm -hmm. they're you know 50-year-old women that you're doing a boot camp with Mm -hmm. or if they're an 18-year-old soccer girl who just passed the B test for the first time ever. (laughs) um, It it definitely is about the kids and watching the success that they have. And, you know, we just have a a small piece of the pie to the success that they they embrace or they get, but it's definitely the kids... um, I think I always I always tell people, like, one of my favorite things to do as a strength coach is find, like, coachable moments, like, mm-hmm. ways that I can take things that we're doing from a training standpoint in a weight room or from a conditioning standpoint and relate that to practice or to the game or to what a coach said, or yeah. mm-hmm. well, more importantly, to life. You know, it's, you know, I think I always have a hard conversation with my freshmen when they come in, and I always tell them, like, four things. One, life isn't fair. Double standards always happen bad things happen to good people and hard work doesn't always pay off i mean it's just those are four really hard realities because when these kids come in as freshmen they're coming they're they're the big fish in the small pond Mm -hmm. they got recruited really hard they're getting scholarship money they think they're going to take it on i'm like no it's not that easy but that doesn't mean you should give anything less than your best and you know a lot of times those are the moments where you can make those connections and you help them improve not only as like student athletes but as, as people and All you need is one of those a month, and it will keep you going in the right direction. A smile, a thank you. um, That makes the 16 to 18-hour days go Mm -hmm. by. And it really is about the personal interactions that you have with your student-athletes or coworker um, that get me re-energized. at this point, I can, I can fake it. You know, I'm on the floor for, let's mm-hmm. say, four or five hours a day. I can fake it pretty good for four or five yeah. hours. But when I come to my office and the tears start coming out and I start crying, I'm scared do that. <laughs> it's okay, I do and that. i got a beard, I'm a man. <laughs> <laughs> but, but realistically, you know, it, it definitely is the kids, the coworkers. It's a, the experience. It's about helping people achieve their goals, and I think that's why everybody does that, what we do in this profession. Well, and, and
0: that's two things. You always have to be on in this profession. Yeah. You always have to be on. Um because if you're down, they're down and mm-hmm. if they're down their session sucks and if their session sucks, you have a problem.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: and then then the second thing is is like in my opinion, we have the best job in sport. Because are we responsible for making sure that they're able to score points and score more points? Yes. Mm-hmm. Are we make sure are we responsible for making sure that they can jump higher? Yes. But at the end of the day, like do I really, truly is my primary concern how many fouls you got, how many shots you made, how many whatever, how fast Absolutely you ran. Not, yeah. I get to care about your performance both physically, mentally, emotionally, and academically. Mm -hmm. And for me to be able to worry about those things and watch you grow as a human being and watch you grow as an athlete, that's phenomenal because I'm able to help build that foundation that you're able to take and then use in the in the context of doing the thing that you love most, Absolutely, at least hopefully yeah. that you love most, which is playing football, playing volleyball, playing softball, playing baseball. And so to be able to watch those building blocks come together and then watch them take them out. And, oh, for and sure. I can't, you know, the first time I had an athlete come in and be like, I PR'd my, I PR'd my vert, you know, or like, Hey, like I had a scout come, come to me that it's watched me a couple of times. They're like, I'm jumping higher. I'm yeah, running yeah, fast or yeah. something like that. It's like, that's great. That's awesome. Let's get yeah. back to work. <laughs> so
2: yeah, you know, it's, I, it's I a cool moment. So true. You know, it's just putting those kids in a position to be successful and find yeah. enjoyment in what they're doing. I always, I always tell our athletes this idea of like our role of a strength coach. Like if you look at it from a, a traditional paradigm standpoint, like, the athletic trainers and the the sport coaches are kind of like your your parents, right? They mm-hmm. they get the ability to let you play or not let you play. Right. If you get in trouble, they're the punishers. If you get injured, they nurse you back to health. We're the strength coach. We're kind of like, you know, Uncle Eddie. We're kind of cool, <laughs> we're kind of fun. We help you achieve yeah. your goals, but honestly, we don't have a ton of impact on it. Um, but we're the type of person that, you know, like I, I get so many people that sit in those chairs where you guys are right now crying, telling me their stories about oh my God. how life is going yes. wrong, and it's your job to be part, you know, psychologist and parts, you know, just friend and help them get through these things and yes. defer when you need to and you punt when mm-hmm. you have to, but, you know, you'll you'll develop probably some of the most intimate relationships with your student-athletes as compared to athletic trainers or sport, co- sport Absolutely. coaches. Absolutely. Just because you have none of the power. You just yep. you have all the responsibility of getting yep. them ready and physically prepared we get in on the power and, and, and develop those awesome relationships. And
0: I couldn't agree more. And that's something that I think is – and some <clears throat> some coaches undervalue that and don't utilize it enough because yeah. that's that's one of the most powerful tools that you have because I can't tell you how many times I had athletes come in and Julie knows one story in particular, but they come in and, and – like. Three minutes inside the door and it's tears. Yeah, and it's like, all right, close the door, lock it, pull. (laughs) Like, and it's like, okay, what's up? How can I help? But it's like, and they're conversations that they won't go to the sport coach about. No, and they're conversations that they don't want to go to their parents about because I'm just a happy dude in the weight room. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not gonna pull you because you told me that you know you got a ticket last night at ten o'clock. I'm not gonna pull you because you just told me you failed your calc test because Mm -hmm. in reality.
1: I'm not pulling that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, not my job. You know, it's right. my
2: job to train you, keep you
1: happy. Yeah. Right.
2: If you're happy in the weight room, you'll train harder and everybody yeah. wins, right?
1: And, on, and honestly, that's for for so many. I mean, that's a therapy because um, and we talked about with one of our other guests, Tim White, um, that with, at some levels of athletics, the sport is the therapy, right? Depending on how high the stakes are at other levels, like here at a very high level, big 10 division one university, the stakes may be on their sport or in their sport. And mm-hmm. that's where the majority of their stress may actually be coming from. Yeah. And so that at times this environment, um, in, in the weight room, in strength and conditioning, where there is a very strong relational element, plus the physical element of training, which we know from how the body responds to physical training, the, the cycle emotional component of that the release of endorphins Mm -hmm. or you know whether it is okay like today it was shit but you know at least i got it and i felt i did some work and so even if i was terrible at practice i got yelled at like well i came in and put work in i did those squats or you know i did whatever i did and so i think we we really provide Again, we, of course we think we're great, but we, 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 we do provide something. I think that in the athletic standpoint, you know, where it it is a stress reliever. And then I think of, you know, again, bigger to the general population, you know, when you, if you're a personal trainer, you work at a, just a general strength and conditioning facility, or we were at, you know, CrossFit Mantown the other day um, for those people, we're also training them to move well too. Mm -hmm. And so whether they stay with us for four or five years, like an athlete in college, or they're with us, you know, they're lives or they bring their kids um you know we provide that relational foundation and then just the benefit of of being a good mover and that's why i really think at a collegiate setting high school too um yeah, they're going to leave, you know, with four years of eligibility of done playing their sport, but they're going to be a better mover after it. Mm-hmm. And like Eric mentioned that earlier and some people may not realize it; they may just be like, oh, yeah, that was my time playing. And, I, you know, I lifted some weights, but some others I, I know for a fact really, really take that to heart. And then they use the, the movement skills that they learned mm-hmm. here yeah. and their movement maturity. And then they take that on into their life and they they'd maybe do other sports or they do some really awesome lifetime stuff. So, like, that's one of the things I always like to ask, like, athletes that are still active after like yeah. what cool things you're doing um because you know whether it's like like i have a teammates like she could comp- like a couple of them compete in the highland games like yeah. just what yeah. the hell like that's so cool and, and it's it's really due to some of like the positive movement patterns that they learn the relationships with movement they learn mm-hmm. here and as a strength coach that's your job right. because how many people are going to continue to play football when they're done right. they might coach it yeah. or like run track and field an elite level like i try right. but i can't <laughs> like it just it I like can't run fast anymore, and but there's other things we can do.
0: And I, uh, the one thing that, that Julie said is that extra five minutes that you spend with an athlete mm-hmm. of talking to them like, hey, what are you going to do with your body? What are you going to do with your performance when you're done? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do with your performance mm-hmm. when you can't do this anymore? And one, uh, I had an athlete just grinds her ass off all season long, um, cannot break her mile PR, she's a runner, can't break it, can't get, I mean, can't get within five or eight seconds of it. At the same time, she's trying to decide what college to go to. Sure. She's trying to finish her senior season. She's trying to do all this kind of stuff, and I keep telling her, she's like, what do I do? What do I do? I'm like, recovery? Get some sleep. Feed yourself. And, like, no shit. Take four days off and make yeah. a decision. Of course, she doesn't listen. <laughs> That's fine. Um, I nick ironic yeah. you're
1: talking about this right now. But
0: then, <laughs> then, then, um I love you, Eric. <laughs> So she, So she, she decides, she finishes, she graduates, she does all that stuff, um, and then she doesn't even really push, and she ends up pr by 12 seconds. Amazing. Like, like two weeks later, I'm like, that's all up top. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is completely up top. And so if you're out there and you're thinking as a, as a strength and conditioning coach or as an athlete that what's going on in between the years, just like you said, doesn't matter, try being an athlete. Yeah. So go back to your college days and remember the worst exam you ever had to prep for. And then imagine trying to win a Big Ten championship at the same time, mm-hmm. and let that sink on your heart for a second.
2: Yeah, you know, I think that's one of the one of the true benefits that we have here at, at the Division One levels. We do realize that a lot of kids here choose here because of. the the sports um and so a lot of things that we do for them are centered around success within sports yep um even like when we when we talk about nutrition with our athletes it's like fuel your body for training and for practices and for competitions because if those things go bad everything else in your life goes bad Mm -hmm. because why are you going to play sports Mm -hmm. um so you know we really do take a a sport centric approach to a majority of our athletes because we know that's such a huge portion of their life i mean it's Mm -hmm. 90 percent of it um that if they're not doing the things well, it's going to leak over to other things and it's going to cause more damage than if they were to just take care of their bodies for the two hours that they see them. Right. Or we see them or, you know, taking care of their bodies, as we would say, like the other 21 or 22 hours throughout the day and the recovery, the right. nutrition, the sleep. Well,
0: and just like Tim, we had a, we did an episode like Julie said with Tim White, which is episode three. You should go back and listen to it if you haven't yet. but. Um, one thing that he said is that these—I mean—that's their identity. Yeah. I mean, a ninety percent of these kids have had the identity of a volleyball player, a softball player, a football player since they were six. Yep. And so now they're they're twenty-two. They're under the lights. There's thousands of people watching them in a stadium. There's thousands more at home. And now all that stuff, all all of the, that hard work, and that it comes to it is a culmination of what they've put in the last Mm -hmm. 12, 14, 16, 17 years of their life. And now it it gets to pay off in the most stressful time of your life as a young adult. Yeah, isn't that wild? So, yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And then we come in, we could say they only can train 20 hours a week.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like, sorry. (laughs) Yep. Um, That that idea of identity, um, you mentioned that is... Are, and we've talked about before so when especially at a university like this again where it's so much of their time even though of course they are a student mm-hmm. it's a very high caliber academic institution here um what have you dealt with, with athletes that are kind of ending their, I'm curious from a strength coach perspective, because we talked to a sports psychologist about this, our, one of our last episodes, but they're ending their career. And like, you know, like they, they may or may not go on, right. Cause yep. there's obviously many different levels that Wisconsin athletes are able to go continue to plan on, depending on the sport they're in um, or they're preparing for that next that next level what are some of the things that you do in your role just with the relationships you have or the training that you have to get them ready for either to be done and go on to their job or whatever they're going to do or to go on to another level of play
2: yeah you know i think at a university like this it's very you know multifaceted in the sense that we have departments that specifically work Mm -hmm. with student athletes as they're coming to the end of their careers here to help them transition right um a lot of times you know depends on the quality of relationship you have with the athletes like Mm -hmm. you can tell like some people when they're done they're they're happy they're done they're they're ready to hang it up and walk away and Mm -hmm. and go do business or fashion or you know Mm -hmm. engineering whatever it may be but you can also tell that there's some out there that are like that's well, I've always been. What do I do now? And yep. so, you know, I think a lot of the times for me, it's let them kind of drive the bus. Like mm-hmm. they'll come and I, If I had a nickel for every time I had a former athlete ask for either A, a workout or B, yeah. a former workout. Like That's what I was wondering. I was so jacked when I was uh, sophomore mm-hmm. year summer. You know, I was squatting and benching. It's like, all right, let's pull out that workout and we'll give it back to you. And mm-hmm. so, you know, if I had a nickel for every time I, that happened, I'd be a millionaire. I would have been able to retire already. Um, but for the most part is, you know, I think it's letting them kind of uh experience the situation determine what their path needs to be and then kind of let them drive the bus a little bit like hey if you need help we're here to help you out um you know a lot of our athletes now just because you know the the sci- society has moved that way do a lot of crossfit we get a lot mm-hmm. of athletes that transition to crossfit just because it is very socially based it's very physically mm-hmm. active yeah. based it's you it's know a team. It's, mm-hmm. yeah i mean there's just so many positives about it but the the structure isn't there um some athletes where they've been structured their whole life, it's about getting them out of that structure and then helping them understand that there can be better work or sport life balance. Right. Um, and so, you know, I, I get a lot of athletes and I got I would get this at lacrosse a lot where people would get done with sports and they would start diving into like running marathons mm-hmm. or have one guy that wanted to do bobsled or, you know, do yeah. all these different things that require incredible amounts of time. It's like, hold on. Take a breath for a second go you live just
0: go live for a little while
2: Abs- absolutely yeah. do you realize how much time it takes how many hours you'll spend alone if you train for these things and if you want to do that that's awesome i'll help you but realize if you want to stay physically active and you want to enjoy sports how about you go play rec kickball or <laughs> club soccer or something more socially bar league volleyball or bar league softball mm-hmm. do something that uses sport in a more social aspect and it's not as competitive because you just yeah. spent 10 years being competitive and structuring life around that you know i think it's important for us as practitioners to help them understand that there are things outside of sport and that mm-hmm. you can Absolutely. find better balance and better enjoyment from life um just because you realize the the challenges that sport faces from a physiological and uh, an emotional standpoint you know let's get them away from that for a period of time and then let them rediscover really what really is Fun
0: for them to do. Well, rediscover why they started doing it in the first place. When they were little for no, most of them. Yeah, no six, no eight-year-old starts playing baseball or starts playing football because they want to come play at Wisconsin and no. then go to the NFL. They do. In
1: Wisconsin, no. no, they do. Here, they do. <laughs> I'm se- I'm serious. Football. Yeah. But,
0: <laughs> anyways, they wouldn't be Aaron Rodgers. They wouldn't yeah. play for Green Bay. So. That's what I want to I mean, they, they, st- they do it because it's fun. They yeah. do it because their friends do it. Mm-hmm. They do it because they enjoy it because there's, camarader- there's camaraderie and there's a, there's an aspect of team to it, and mm-hmm. and that's why they start. Yep. And that's one thing that I always talk about, and that's one thing that we talked with with Skip about was um, if you come to me as a, as a personal client and you want to do CrossFit but you find out that powerlifting is more your thing you find out that you really like a little bit of weightlifting or whatever, that's fine because if I'm the catalyst for you finding out what makes you happy mm-hmm. and healthy – then so be it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and and you can't really do that at the collegiate level because they came here for a very specific purpose. Yeah, mm-hmm. You
2: know, we, we talk about that a lot um, from a strength and conditioning standpoint because you realize how much disordered thinking there is within college athletics. Yeah. Um, you know, I have this poster on my wall. It says the, the five factors for elite-level success, high volume, high intensity, high frequency, high expectations, <laughs> and overreaching. Yeah. I mean, all those things, <laughs> it's, it's disordered <laughs> thinking, right? It is. It absolutely is. But we always because the outcome about, is different. Yeah, because we always talk about this idea of like nothing, nothing worth noting or nothing that is earth shattering happens from somebody who has a good balance. Like the yeah. light bulb doesn't get invented, a cure to cancer doesn't get invented by mm-hmm. somebody who's kind of like half in. Yeah. And so when they're they're cured, probably happier though. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. But like great. And people don't come to Wisconsin just because they want to be average. It's because they mm-hmm. want to break records and they want to yeah. do things professionally and they want to be successful. So, you know, for four or five years, we, we proctor or push forward that disordered thinking of sport and sport and sport and sport. But at some point, you have to pull them out of that disordered thinking and help them realize that there may be better paths to well-being and happiness other yeah. than what sport has provided.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it, it all comes to, I mean, you speak just like a, like a teacher. I don't know you are obviously. And as coaches, many, we are teachers, but it's, it's again, the disordered thinking transitioning that to more of a joy mentality mm-hmm. of like finding joy in movement. And hopefully they of course continue to move. That's always one of my goals with people. If they do have an end or a, te- or a deadline or a time cap to, you know, if it's eligibility or aging out or injury or whatever it may be that does require them to to stop or make a transition um, is that there's some joy somewhere in it because you don't want that disordered thinking to just have everything be stopped then because then it's going to, maybe they don't do that sport anymore. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But then that's going to impact their health. Right long term that might impact eventually the health of their children the people that they coach because of how that mindset is and there's, there's no longer that joy with it and so I think that's again you, you bring it back to this idea of relationships always mm-hmm. and as a strength professional or as someone that works in movement education period you mm-hmm. know again whether you're a PE teacher a personal trainer um you're a running buddy you know literally whatever it is there has to be that element of it yeah, um of absolutely. like you got to keep it fun and you have to find the fun at some point so we even if it is at the end of your eligibility when you've been pushing, um, you've, you've got to tie it up somewhere. And I yeah. think as as a strength coach, um, that's we're in an important position to mm-hmm. be able to be a little bit of a catalyst into that next step. Well,
0: and Absolutely, yeah. Out of all the parents that I've seen, like, out of all the parents that I've dealt with and that <laughs> I've worked with, and the ones that seem to be the best, the ones that seem to either be the most understanding, that just don't have any problems or issues at all, are... Former college or pro athletes, sure, because they get it. Yeah, they understand what it takes to get there. They understand the process that it takes, and they understand that, hey, my kid has it or they don't. <laughs> like they know, they know, yeah, they know, and they they know because they've seen it. They know that they, because they've experienced it, and they also know when their kid does, and they know that anything that they're gonna say doesn't matter because they're the parent yeah Mm -hmm. and so like just just for them to be able to take that into that point for them to be able to take that culture and understand like what's fun and like if i burn this kid out right now well he's never going to get to that level if he wants to go there um so it's i i have a lot of respect for college athletes because of what they choose and decide to do and and uh it's it's always impressive to see and it's always impressive to see what they do with it afterwards Absolutely. but dur- during and, and and what it takes to to achieve it so
1: no doubt I have one one more question i i asked you this before last one of the last times we met but and again because i want to i'm going to play <laughs> this for my students in class <laughs> make them listen to it um so in strength and conditioning Based off of what you value and what you see as the profession needing, wanting, direction it's going to for better or for worse, what are some of the things that you're going to start to direct some of your attention as you develop professionally and that you would encourage other people that are coming into this profession to start to focus on if they haven't already?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think the profession's kind of in this like weird place right now where it's expand it's like the universe, it just keeps expanding mm-hmm. too fast. Um, and the, the recent trends are these ideas of data, data analytics mm-hmm. and like monitoring yeah. athletes. And yeah. there's really nothing within the educational system right now outside of like getting a bachelor's or master's degree in data analytics, which wouldn't really be applied to sport um, for strength conditioning coaches or, or sports professionals. So I, I think there's definitely a niche there for that. Um, I'm extremely hesitant to push students that want to be strength coaches towards that because I think that's a whole different job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like yep. ultimately when I, when I look at young people, I'm looking to either hire or bring in for interns, um, they have to have a good education and it has to be a four year degree in some kind of exercise science related field and they have to have clinical experience actually coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, like with our interns, I can bring anybody in and teach them my system and our system and get them coaching at a proficient level. And, you know, just like our, our student athletes with our interns, like we want them to be challenged, but we also want them in a position to be successful. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think it's grossly important for them to have one or two experiences prior to coming to a place like this where, you know, there's just a higher stigma behind it, a little bit more intensity behind it. So it's it's definitely important for them to get more experience out there clinically um, within the profession that they want to be involved in um, so you know academically they got to be solid They have to have some clinical experience um, You know if I was gonna say trying to push people in different directions Like if you want to be a strength coach you got to write programs you got to coach I mean that's really yeah. what it comes down to you don't have to understand nutrition You don't have to understand chiropractic or physical therapy or athletic training You just have to write really good programs where people get really strong or fit or fast or explosive Yep, and you got to be a to coach you Mm got to be able to interact with athletes. Whatever your coaching style looks like, you have to be able to reach people on a personal level and get them to do the things that they probably don't want to do. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not training hard enough, you're not going to get the success that you want. Correct. And again, that that comes from academics and that comes from experiences, but you got to be really good at writing programs and you got to be really good at coaching people. Yeah. Did I even answer your question?
1: I mean, no, kind of. I I think it's really really good
0: advice. Basically, you said if you're going to be a strength coach, be a strength coach and don't be anything else, which is – and that's a huge
1: that's that's the part you need to be the expert in, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. whether you're Jack of all trades, yeah. that's important to move on and be successful. Yeah. But if you're not the expert in the one thing you're supposed to you be have, good at. Yeah,
0: you have a shit ton of tools. You're, you're you screwed. get found out
2: really fast.
1: Yeah. You have
0: you have a shit ton of tools at your disposal, but the mm-hmm. one thing at your core is what? It's yours it's your bachelor's degree. It's your yep. it's your ability to write yep. programming, it's, it's, it's your ability coach. to be a
2: fantastic strength coach. Absolutely. And
0: all these other tools are great because they make you a better strength coach right
2: mm-hmm. yeah so. you know absolutely you know it does come down to being well balanced but you got to be an expert at something and yeah yeah you know even we we talk about this a lot too i, I say that because we we talk a lot as a staff mm-hmm. it's like you know you got to be a, a you know a jack of all trades a master of one but you can't be a dictator of any and mm-hmm. so you have to be willing to have oh, that compromise man. yeah right. that's good Put that one out there that's
0: good because, trademark you know, that
2: yeah, I, you know i get so many times like where i'm sitting there i'm talking to my sports medicine professionals and they're like yeah you know we really like to see this in there or that in there and it's very easy for strength coaches to say no that's that's my room i do those things but at at what cost you know like mm-hmm. i'm not going to underwrite with my athletic trainers education experiences and it's a lot easier for me to put that stuff in than to argue my point and it's, it goes both ways. Like if all of a sudden I'm seeing a treatment or a rehab and I'm like, hey, have you guys looked at this? Like I want them to be open to that conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so this idea of like you can't dictate anything because there's just too many smart people around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and people with a lot different experiences and to underwrite those is, is not going to lead to success.
1: Yeah. yeah. What's next for you? So like what's interesting to you? What are you spending your time? Um, I would say sort of professionally or like more Ha- like hobby professionally like maybe reading listening to looking at other than you know, what's what's <laughs> the last book you read Lots us TV shows
2: uh, the, the book. I'm reading right now is how champions think by dr. Bob Rotella So the the volleyball team does a book club every summer and they cool. give us books and we read those um, I used a, a large amount of professional development money this year to buy a bunch of books that I haven't gotten to yet mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I just I know a good amount about the, the exercise science stuff. I'm trying to really yes. find the best way to learn to develop like culture or reinforce culture, and understand mm-hmm. how athletes think. Because ultimately, like I can like I tell our athletes this like I can write the best workout you've ever seen, but if you're not willing to do it to the the level I need you to, it's not even worth writing. Um, so investing a lot of time in like leadership development, motivation, mm-hmm. communication strategies. I think those things are all important. But with that said, like, I already know how to write really good programs. Right. I already you, know have the fa- you have the foundation. Well, and that's a
0: yeah. that's discussion that I have a lot is like, hey, for what we do, if we're not like a cardiac rehab or a cardiac rehab specialist, mm-hmm. I understand the glycolytic and the oxidative. I understand anaerobic and aerobic. I understand all these things. At the end of the day, when I'm writing the program, how in depth do I really need to go? And is that master's, or that PhD in exercise science yeah. or, or, you know, um. Whatever that may be, is that really gonna benefit me as a strength coach mm-hmm. when I can spend my time giving myself another tool? Because am I gonna have to really get that deep yep. into understanding what they're gonna do? When I'm writing a program and working with athletes, probably not.
2: Yeah, not a ton. You know, I see so many uh so many young strength coaches, whether they're interns of mine or people I see online that they're posting like pictures of them, reading all these books on leadership and like, mm-hmm. you know, Brett Bartholomew's book yeah. about like conscience coaching, it's like Motherfucker, you can't even write a program mm-hmm. yet. You yeah. Know? I mean, why are you reading that shit? You know, yeah. I, I don't care how well you can lead. If you can't write a program, you're going to be out of a job because your kids aren't going to get fast. They're not going to get strong. Yep. They're mm-hmm. going to get injured. So, you know, I think it's important for the um, like young people, like, hey, go get Bampa's book. Go read about yep. periodization. Yep. Hey, grab super training and read maybe like 10 pages and be confused, but read them again 100 times in a row and you might learn something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, I still think there's a, a lot of value in that. Um, also like for me personally kind of going down that route like understanding like 30 years from now you know when i'm 60 i don't want to be a strength coach i can't i can barely move right now so it's like for me trying to put myself in a position for career success so looking at like phd programs in administration Mm -hmm. and human resources because at some point i i was telling my boss this is like at some point i'm gonna have to put down the barbell and pick up a pen so what does yeah. that look like? You know, I, I, can't be, <laughs> I can't be coaching snatches and cleans right. when I'm 60 years old, but I want to be involved and I want to be involved on more of a holistic approach. Like, mm-hmm. you know, our administrators here are great, but they're, they're the ones that actually get stuff done. Mm-hmm. And so if you're looking at from a departmental standpoint, the ability to create change departmentally, holistically, being in a position where I can kind of pull some strings and get those things going, that's really interesting to me. Because mm-hmm. I know my little world down here with my three teams, and my assistant coaches that we can get a lot of stuff done and it's like paradise. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's so much more that could be really done here at the university. It's just like getting to that point. Yeah
1: yeah no I think I think it's good to also to have that vision and I love that I that you reinforce even though you have a million tools in your tool belt you still have that foundational thing mm-hmm. you are able to write programming yeah. you know the science behind it and then the extra stuff that is like the fun sexy stuff to add in like that's important it, it's important too right. to be able to articulate that knowledge but if you're if you have shit to articulate it doesn't matter how it's well you shit. can create a it, culture it's, it's, it's still, still shit, shit. Yeah. and it, so, I can't
0: And I can teach you how to write a program. Yeah, absolutely. At the end of the day, I can teach you, you know, periodization. I can teach you where and when I want you to squat Mm -hmm. and how much and your rep scheme and stuff like that. What I can't teach you is to care. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many times and then how many different people we've talked to where that just continues to come up and come up and come up because there's a lot of people, and we talked about this before we got on the mics, was a lot of people see you in the weight room demoing a snatch and talking about how it's going to make you powerful and how it's it's cool and – um, you've got an incredible facility with an awesome office and it's like <laughs> man this looks like a really cool job but what they don't see is the time that goes into it what they don't see is yeah the inherent need and the inherent want and, and care to care about your athletes and to make them a better person yeah better you know athlete.
2: i it's i just I, i'm always dumbfounded by how how jealous my coworkers who aren't strength coaches must be as for my profession i guess because like there's days where I'll sit in here and I'll write programs for three or four hours. Mm-hmm. I'll walk out the door and I'll scream at the top of my lungs and walk back in. And people just look and like, wow, that's pretty cool, right? <laughs> you know, what we, we a what badass. Some really great yeah. things must be happening like, yeah. cooking, like you're cooking away in here. He's no, got it's a just, microwave. But. It is, it's amazing, you know, yeah. just to be able to walk around and jam out the music. It is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's probably yeah. the best profession I've, I've, I've ever thought I could be in. Yep. Um, but there's a lot of, like, a lot of groundwork that goes into it. the education, yeah. the experiences, mm-hmm. the learning. Um, the forced learning being you know, yelled at. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. Being MF by people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that yeah. happens. You know, when one of my coaches gets after me and they apologize later, I'm like, no, man, I've had it way worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was easy. You yeah. Know? yeah, I didn't lose any sleep over that. But mm-hmm. <laughs> that's cool. neither here nor there.
1: Good. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, I think we're going to wrap up. I know Kevin has to actually work today beyond talking yeah. to me, <laughs> beyond talking to us. Um, and so uh kevin in terms of it's you're, you're in a different position you're not like a business owner um i know if people really want to get a hold of you like say there's someone listening who wants to come shadow you mm-hmm. they like your approach or they want to be an intern at university of wisconsin what's the best way to uh, maybe initially reach out to email. You? email email me that's it all right We we'll won't the, respond to anything
2: else we'll <laughs> post your email don't call uh, me <laughs> I won't pick up if I don't know you.
1: <laughs> cool. So we'll make sure we'll post that. And anyone that is interested yeah. in making a connection with Kevin can also get in contact with us because we can help facilitate that as well. Um, but if you uh, want to know more information about Kevin, he's over at the University of Wisconsin Athletics website. You can read his bio over there. It lists like a million certifications that he has. Like, yeah, I'm thinking about um, taking
2: that down. It's a little too pompous <laughs> for me. I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> how I was when I was younger. Now I just want to say strength coach, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, but it, it is cool,
1: and again, and I, I, I encourage someone who's young in the profession, again, like Kevin's done a lot of things from a holistic standpoint, but he's put in the time and he has that foundation. So it is kind of, I, I also like to see like, well, what have people done to get here? And mm-hmm. so what, are, what have they added in? And because that provides in a platform to be like, oh, how do you use that then in your coaching? So do check out his bio. It's, it's pretty interesting um, just to kind of see where he's been and what he's done. And then, I, oh, good. I
2: will make a quick quick note. Every one of our Olympic strength conditioning coaches at the university are all, I think division 3 individuals with college athletic experience. Really? Yeah. So Myself, Wisconsin Lacrosse. Billy, Wisconsin Oshkosh. Jeff, Wisconsin Lacrosse. Eric, Wisconsin Ocala. There's obviously a trend Renee, going on here. Wisconsin Lacrosse. Jim, Wisconsin Lacrosse. Or GA Tom, Wisconsin Lacrosse. So if you want to be a college strength coach at the University of Wisconsin, get your undergrad. Wisconsin Lacrosse. Yeah. Or yeah, get yeah.
1: your undergrad in the University of Wisconsin system. And I th- honestly, I think uh, many other universities are probably like that too, where yeah. like, and you, know, yeah. Wisconsin is Midwest. People love roots here. Yeah. We yeah. are very rooted, and I'm sure that's similar to other, other parts of the country. But the fact that you said the degree and the collegiate athletic experience. Yeah. Um, Whether it's playing or coaching in it. It can it's, be it's really important. important. Yeah, yeah. You know,
2: I get so many people, and this is a side tangent here, that want to do internships from different universities, yet they don't have that university listed as an experience. That's a big yeah. red flag. like yeah. I get so many kids from lacrosse that want to come here because it's Wisconsin, and I look at the references and experiences, and if they haven't done anything with like their the school. rec or mm-hmm. the strength center at, at the university within athletics or sport coaching, I don't want to see them because that means they're not taking advantage of the opportunities in their, their local area. Right. Yeah. And
1: there's in every single place, every university, every local community, even if it's a private facility. I mean, there's a ton. Like, fitness is big now. Yeah. Strength and conditioning is big right now. And so I think that's really, really good advice. Yeah, I need um, to be
2: able to call somebody that knows what you look like on the floor. And, and yeah. I'm not going to call your your business manager from TGF Fridays or right. your third grade, you know, basketball coach or, you know, a, a family friend. think you get some people that list like family, friends as mm-hmm. in references. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Mm-hmm. Not, not here, not yet. Because
0: at the end of the, I mean, and you know, the second that I walk into an affiliate, or the second that I watch someone coach, whether it's in a sports setting or a private setting, the second I walk, walk them, walk out on the floor and address the group. Yeah. And and know. just and just how they say, all right, guys, come on, bring it in. Just how they say that, those four words, I know whether you have it or not. Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we get a lot of people who this is like one of their first or second experiences from a coaching standpoint. Mm-hmm. And not to say that I'm in love with the person, but Scott Cochran down in Alabama. If you guys haven't seen his 60 Minutes video, yeah. you need to watch that guy. Dude is insane. But the idea of like using voice in fluctuations and yeah. putting emphasis between mm-hmm. different words—it's too many. Too many young strength coaches talk very monotonally. and there's oh no yeah, you've got to.
0: Well, you've got to be on. Just like we yeah. said earlier, you have to be on, and you have to recognize mm-hmm. like. I if if I am low, if I am off, the entire session's going to yeah. tank. And
2: mm-hmm. that's great if it's a recovery session or regen session. Yeah. Awesome. But if right. you want people to squat, you got to be loud, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's good stuff. Cool. Side tangent there. No,
1: that's no, a <laughs> great side tangent. It's exactly what I wanted. They're going to listen to this, uh, this next semester. All right. Well, this is Revealing Strength Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Revealing Strength Online, Strength On Instagram, at Revealing Strength. We're going to take some cool pictures um, here at UW and get those posted up there. And then if you want to reach out to either Eric or myself, I'm at Julie J today.
0: And I am at Eric Santer, E-R-I-C-S-A-N-T-U-R-E. And thank you so much. (laughs) This is a fantastic episode. We really, truly appreciate it. And guys, until next time, stay strong.